We are continuing our long series on how do you live in a culture that's falling apart, and in particular with our study in 1 Peter, which I think really is the answer to it. How do Christians live in a decadent world? And for weeks and weeks and weeks, we've been waiting to get to this passage we finally got to last week, um, where it basically says that Christians are weird, right? Our, our deal is this. You're going to be an alien. You're going to be a stranger. You're a sojourner. You're an exile. Everything's going to be, you're just, they're going to think it's strange that you don't do the things that they do. But there was, I think, perhaps a surprise last week. Um, though we knew we were getting this passage about being aliens and strangers. Does anybody remember, according to Peter, what's the essential weirdness about us? What do, we, what do weird people do, according to Peter? What makes us weird? Fetzer. Abstain. Abstain from? Simple desires. That's it. Abstain from simple desires. It says this, First Peter this is chapter 2, verse 11. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, this is who we are, to do this. Ready? Abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And we unpack that. If you weren't here, these classes are always online at chsroanoke.com. I think it's like... You go to the top, media maybe, There's a, you can, you'll find it, you'll find your way to Sunday school stuff. But the, the essential thing is that we would abstain from our sinful desires. That's the strangest thing about us. This is weird, it's just nobody does this, is if we will subdue our sinful desires, or at least if we'll do it some of the time, right? Um, and then he's going to, for the rest of the book, he's going to put us in a particular, different context. So this is what it looks like to be a weird employee. This is what it looks like to be a weird wife, a weird husband. And the first thing he gets into, and I, we, we kind of alluded to this last week, what is the first oddity, the first sinful desire that we're going to suppress, the first kind of situation of our lives that he's going to talk about this in? What is it? Being a weird citizen. Yeah, being a weird citizen. And what, what do weird citizens do, Bob? They submit to ruling authority. They submit to ruling authority. Listen to this. Okay, here it is. We'll just pick it up. We're in chapter 2, and we'll read, say, 13 to 17. Uh, yeah, so strap in. Here it comes. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Okay? And again, the, he, he kind of starts off the center of it. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him. And on and on and on. Okay, now, this is not a fringe teaching. Okay? This is not some like random weirdo thing. Where, where else can you find this almost, you know, same exact language in the New Testament? Romans. Romans 13. Okay, let's go there. Flip there. I want you to see this is not just one data point. Romans 13. Paul has spent, like, all this whole, these first, well, depending on how you look at it, the first 11 verse, the first 11 chapters, really making this theological case. And then he finally transitions in chapter 12 to, like, okay, let's get down to it. What do we do? And it's very similar to Peter. Right away, he comes out of it with this. Romans 13, 1. And by the way, as you, read, as you listen to Peter, and as you listen to Paul, consider the, their, their context, okay? 
What do you know about the authority under which Peter wrote? What do you know about the authority under which Paul wrote? And in fact, what do you know was the final engagement Peter had with Rome? Do you know? They crucified him. What was the final engagement Paul had with Rome? Also executed. They behead, Paul got beheaded, which was kind of a mercy. Peter was crucified upside down. Okay, so lest you want to be like, well, hang on a second. This assumes like a righteous authority. This assumes good authority. It does not. Okay, just be very, very clear. To whatever extent you're like, yeah, but they don't know who we are living under, whose authority we're. They don't care. Okay, this is this is written in. This is under Rome. Okay, Rome is like. Burning Christians to death. Romans 13, 1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore... It is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. Okay? There might be a few things there to unpack, but we're going to make it worse before we, before we do so. Okay? So we've got 1 Peter 2. right? Submit yourselves to every, every authority that God has instituted. Romans 13, basically the exact same thing. right? And then he kind of expands it a little, bit more, a little bit more. Anywhere else that you can think of? Fetz? Uh, Jesus said to give to Caesar uh, what is Caesar's. Okay, very good. Interesting. So give to Caesar what is Caesar's. There's a number of things that Jesus says about authority that are interesting. So he's, he's granting that there is something that's, if, you know, and, and what was his point about that? What, what, what did he say right before that? It was about, it's about the image that's on the coin. Yeah, like you're using Caesar's, <laughs> Caesar's faces on your money, like the, then it, the money's his, right? This is all, this is all part of the, if you're, if you're functioning in this system, then you've got to play by the rules of the system, right? If you're going to drive on the roads that the state of Virginia has paved for you, then you got to play by the rules of the state of Virginia. Right? Very good. Uh, yeah, Herrick? What about in Acts 5 when Peter says? We're getting there. Okay, they're very good. We're going we're gonna to go to Acts. Those of you that are like, yeah, but, hang on, they, yeah, there is a yeah, but, and it's going to be in Acts, we'll see it in Acts 4, we'll see it in Acts 5, but hold on to that for just a minute. Okay? How about when Jesus says to Pilate, you would have no authority unless it was Gosh, it's so interesting, right? So there's, there is, I'm only aware of the singular instance where Jesus ever commented on capital punishment. And by the way, capital punishment's in view here in Romans 13, right? He does not bear the sword for nothing. He's talking about that the state has a monopoly on the coercive use of force. And when Jesus is asked about this, or Jesus has an engagement about this with Pilate, Pilate says, don't you know that I have the authority to let you live or to put you to death? And Jesus doesn't say, no, you don't. He sources it. He says, you'd have no authority over me if it wasn't given to you from God. So from Jesus' own lips, he is affirming that Pilate has a God-granted authority to put him to death. 
Doesn't mean they'll be righteous when he does so, right? Rulers, as we see, they exercise their authority in ungodly ways all the time. And yet, we who are under their authority are to obey. Okay, now there's going to be a but, but not quite yet. All right, any other texts? You got, you got First Peter, we got Romans, any others that you'd go to that like kind of build our theology of submission to authority? There's a few others, that, but they're, they're not as, these are the two big ones. You got to look at Titus. If you want a real quick little snippet, Titus 3. says, Titus 3, 1, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceful and considerate, to show true humility to all men. Okay? But Peter... Romans, there's a very, very strong case that we are to be an obedient people. Okay, now, there is a yeah but, an authentic biblical yeah but. And, you, and it's seen most clearly. You went to five, I'd, go, I'd, I'd start at four, we'll build our way to Acts five. But go to Acts four, and we want, we want you to see this. Well, in fact, before we look at it, you can flip there if you want, but what, what do you think might be the exceptions? Submit yourselves to the rulers. Unless or except what? Dan? If God directly tells you to do something that is, that the rulers are forbidding. Okay, if, if, so you're, if God, if you have a direct command from God that the rulers forbid, or perhaps there might be the inversion of that too. If God forbids you to do something that the, that the, the governor or the president or whatever requires of you, then what? Then we obey God rather than man. Then we obey God rather than man. Okay, there's a good theory here. Yeah. We'll, we'll test it biblically. John? Uh, there's a good example in uh, Daniel when his three friends told Nebuchadnezzar uh, that uh, they are not going to uh, worship his image. Yes, very good. Okay. So there's a couple of examples in Daniel where they are, they are da- Daniel and his friends, they're, they're, they go by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but I can't remember their real names, Steve. You get, you get their name? You can't. That'd be good. Hananiah, Azariah, Meshach. He looks it up. He looks it up. There you go. There you go. Uh, they are, they're commanded to worship this statue, this, this image of, of basically of Nebuchadnezzar himself. He deifies himself. And they're like, you know what? We're not going to do that. It's like we will not do this. Because to do so would be to give worship to one. We're obligated to only give it to another. Right? There's another thing that Daniel and his friends are like, mm, we're not down with that. Do you remember what it was? The, the diet. The food, yeah. But in that case, they, they didn't just say, we're not going to do it. They actually made an appeal to the that's authority right. to say, could we try this and test it? That's right. And that's where we get this, the famous Daniel fast. We're like, just give us, let us eat carrots only. We're not, we don't want to eat any of your pagan food. Just let us eat vegetables and, uh, and we'll see and then test us. And they're incredibly respectful in the way that they, that they engage. For Which sure. is a form of submission to the authority. Right. Working within the system. That's right. Yeah, so we are, we're allowed to appeal a court decision, right? We are allowed to write a letter to our congressman. We're allowed to engage within the system. And what the, the model of respect that they give is very significant. Okay, so, so we get so examples in Daniel. And Dan is offering, different Daniel, is offering a very specific thing. If, if, if to do so would cause us to be disobedient to God, then we don't, we not only do we not have to do it, but we mustn't do it. Okay? Anybody want to have a competing theory on this, Tommy? Uh, not uh, communing with God. Um, specifically, so um, when Daniel and Darius, um, as far as like Darius says, like you know, nobody can can pray to anyone except for me. And Daniel still, even in the privacy of his own room, that's right, in violation of the law. 
That's right. So this shows up over and over in Daniel. Where he's, he's, you're not allowed for like 30 days. Nobody can pray to anybody except, is it Darius? Is that the king at the time? Except to Darius. And Daniel's like, well, I mean, yeah, but no. And he goes and he kneels down in front of his window. He's not terribly private about it, right? And, and, let's, and he's going to, because of the rule, the DFP is laid down. He's, he's obligated to pray. I think the rule precedes me. Yes, right. It does precede you. Indeed it does. Okay. Uh, now, this is a good rule. We're going to see the biblical basis for this rule. But is it, there's, there are other presumptions of rule. Does anybody else want to throw out another possible framing of this? Is that anybody? Okay. Good. Because you would have been wrong. So that's good. So w- way to go. But we're very often wrong with this. I'll show you this in a minute. But let, let's, let's go ahead and take a look at, uh, let's, let's go to Acts 4. We'll, we'll pick it up here. So this is, this is the exception. And hear this, mark this, it's the only exception. Okay, there's another exception that we like, but it doesn't exist. I'll show you that in a minute. Acts 4. When they saw, we'll start at verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin. They conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they've done an outstanding miracle. We can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further, we must warn these men. And here it is. Here's the command. To speak no longer to anyone in this name. Don't talk about Jesus anymore. Okay, that's the command. It's like, shut up. No more evangelism. No more healing people in his name. Just stop it. Verse 18, they call him in again, and they commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. So what do you do? These are clear, these are divergent. Jesus says, go, make disciples of all nations. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And the Sanhedrin is saying, shut up. So what do you do? Peter said, Peter and John said in verse 19, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let him go. They couldn't decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God. Okay? Then it plays out again in chapter 5. So turn to page 525. And um, Peter gets put in jail because he's still... And like, the deal is, like, when God tells them what to do, they're going to obey God. But when the, when the leadership tells them what not to do and they disobey them, they're still liable to the consequence of having disobeyed. So Peter gets thrown in prison. But then an angel shows up and lets him out of prison, which is amazing. And verse 25, someone came, and he's out. But once he gets out of prison, he doesn't like scurry away to some hidden place. He goes right back into the center square and does it again, right? There's nothing secret. There's nothing hidden about this. And, And he's there, and in verse 25, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. And at that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They didn't use force because they feared that the people would stone them. And having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. And yet, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And here's the reply. It's the exact same principle again, verse 29. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Remember a moment ago when he said, you're making us guilty of this man's blood. Peter's like, that's right. You killed him by hanging him on a tree. 
But God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of this thing and so is the Holy Spirit that God has given to those who obey him. And so when push comes to shove, they will always obey God rather than man. And that is rock solid and that's what we should do as well. However, there is a distortion of this that is not this. And I want to draw your attention to that. But first, Joel Ray. Absolutely. I mean, they're, they're, I mean and, that, and that's chapter 4. Like, hey, listen, we, we're going to obey God, not you. So they obey God and not them. And they get arrested, and, and, and it plays out. And it's wonderful because an angel walks them out of jail. But it very well could have been the case, and it ultimately will be the case, that Peter's going to get crucified. Right? God is not, there's no promise, hey, obey me, and whatever the state does against you, I'm going to like... I'm going to take it away. There's no such promise. Even with the Daniel guys, they're like, listen, the God who we serve is able to rescue us from your hand. But even if he doesn't, O king, we will not bow down to this image of gold. And so Peter, Peter's very straight up. Daniel's very straight up. There's nothing sneaky about it. They're just, well, the chips will fall where they, where they do. And sometimes it's a great rescue. Sometimes it's not. They're not rebelling. That's right. Well, but, but, but in that submission to the higher authority, certainly the lower authority absolutely experiences them as being rebellious. They're not being sneaky. They're being rather, rather direct that we're not going to do what you want us to do. That's fine with you, that the lower authority has the perception of Satan. Wait, 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 wait. Too, too masky. Say that again. That's fine that the lower authority has the perception that they're being rebellious, but they're making it clear that that's not, that's not what our heart is. That's not what we're doing. That's right. And then Absolutely, yes, that's right. What, what, what's being, what's, the reason that I must obey you is because I have a higher command to obey another. That's exactly right. Now, here's the thing. There's a distortion of this. There's a version of, of the Peter principle, of the Daniel principle, that lives in, I think, in the hearts of most people. And you think that you're obeying, you, you think that you're following the Acts principle, but you're not. Okay, and this is really what I want to draw. I want to invite this thing to the stage. We can look at this and really see where this thing is. There is a version of this that says, I don't have to obey unjust authorities. If my authority is evil, then I don't have to obey him. If my authority wants me to do some wicked thing, then I, I don't have to do it because she's wicked. And so I'm not subject to wicked authorities. Pretty, I'm, I haven't, I've, done, I've not been very cagey about this up to this point, so this is not a big surprise here. This is a false paradigm, okay? W why is that a false paradigm? Wait, I feel like somebody's speaking, but I can't find you. It puts you in the judgment seat of who is evil and who is wicked and who is not. Okay, this is true. But what if you're right? What if it's clear? This is an evil person, and they are giving you commands. We, let's, say, let's say we just stipulate, okay, they are wicked. Do you have to obey wicked authorities? Yes. Yes. But didn't we just say that we don't have to obey things that contradict what God has said? So if they're contradicting God, do I have to submit to it or not? 
Okay, so I will eventually. But first I want you guys to kind of get in. I want you to hear, okay? So here's the, here's the principle. I don't, it is true that I don't have to obey an authority that is telling me to sin. Okay? If you're telling me to do something that God has said not to do, I don't have to do it. I mustn't do it. You cannot compel me to sin. You can't make me lie. You can't make me cheat. You can't make me murder somebody. You can't do it. Okay? But... Can my authority be sinning in the command that he gives me? Can my, must I submit to that one? So John and then Rachel. Yes. And? Nero was a nasty guy. Nero was what? Nasty. Nero was nasty. Super bad, right? And so that's what we're saying. So Rome... Even, and even, even if it wasn't Nero, whoever comes before and after Nero, they're all bad. I mean, it's a rough thing. Nero particularly bad, right? But so Peter is writing a letter in the underneath a specifically unjust king and saying, submit to the authority. Okay? But how is that? How, if, so if we, we do submit to an unjust authority, but we don't have to submit when the authority tells us to do something unjust, what's, what does that leave, Rachel? Absolutely. He still acted even though he was the most just person and the system he was under was the most unjust, but he still, even his embracing, submitted to that. And I would say he submitted unreasonably even. I mean, he was silent in his trial. His whole trial was a joke. The whole thing was a mockery of justice. And he did not resist arrest. In fact, when his buddy pulls out a sword, he's like, hey, you know, put, put your sword away. And he glues that guy's ear back on, right? I mean, he's like, he's incredibly subordinate to these authorities to an exceptional degree. I mean, he ends up getting crucified. There's, none of you will ever submit to crucifixion, he said with, with hope, right? It's, ex, it's absolutely exceptional. Brad? So the Romans passage you read, uh, it said all authority. Absolutely. Even unjust authority wielded in wickedness, Peter is saying, is ultimately descended from God. Now, if you're the ruler, if you're the king, then you can be like, everything I do is right. That's not what we're saying. Do you hear that? We are not saying that everything you do is right. If a ref in the Super Bowl makes the wrong call, okay, if they make the wrong call, the call can still stand. It is the official outcome of the game. They're not determining truth. The ref doesn't have the ability to like magically make it such that you were in bounds when you were really out of bounds. Nevertheless, the ruling can stand. Right? That's, and that's what we're saying. That there, We live in a world such that at, at, at some point, like when the Supreme Court rules, when the governor issues an edict, that's the, that's the deal. Right or wrong... That's the deal. It might be wrong. It's often wrong. My goodness, it's often wrong. And yet, we are to be a people that subordinate ourselves to those authorities that God has established, even when they get it wrong. Okay? This is tough. Way back. Shima? So, I guess then, the question that I have is, um, so our American idea of civil disobedience and even the American Revolution, are you saying that that would be something that's unbiblical? 
Yeah, this is great. So people will love to bring up a variety of different moments of civil, civil disobedience. Well, what about this? And well, I don't, I don't know in the ultimate providence of God. He, God allows all kinds of dreadful things. He accomplishes his purposes through sin. Because what else does he have to work with, right? Um, but I, I, do, I do think um, that it would be very, very difficult to make a biblical case justifying the American Revolution, right? And I think, Mar- like we just, I, I, was, I was advocating last week for you guys to listen to um, Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail last week, which... I, I still do. I think you should read it or video presentations of it. But he offers, Martin Luther King's justification for what we're saying is essentially the second version that I'm critiquing, right? He says that an unjust law is no law at all. And I think that he's mistaken in that. I think there was a lot of stuff that Martin Luther King uh, led that was proper, or that was within bounds of a Peter kind of framework, in bounds of the Romans 13 framework. Um, the sit-ins, the boycotts, so, so much of the direct action was completely legitimate. And even the stuff that I think may have violated this principle was, was handled in a, an incredibly commendable way. They were never sneaky. It was always, we're going to be very public, we're going to be seen, we're going we're to take, take the heat, we're going to be nonviolent. They did an awful lot of stuff right. But I would not affirm his assertion that an unjust law is no law at all. So, there's, so the, the fact that we might have things that we admire, even the very establishment of our country that we love and that we admire and that for which we are grateful, um, at the end of the day, when those things run up against Scripture, Scripture's going to have to win that debate. And I don't, I don't feel any particular burden to vindicate, Christian, to vindicate the American Revolution um, nearly as much as I have an obligation to submit myself to what the Scriptures have said. So does that speak to that? Okay, now, and in case you're like, ah, you feel like you're being a little bit extreme here, go back to Peter, okay? So right, go back, literally, go back to 1 Peter 2. Here's what he says. As soon as we're done this passage here, so so this is 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, okay? And you might be like, okay, it's, it's implied that we mean every good authority. It's implied that we mean every just authority. Pick it up where he continues the argument in verse 18. And he says, Slave, listen, listen to this. I mean, it's how, how explicit can you get? Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. Okay, yeah, but it's a different situation. The, the Roman slavery experience is very different from like American chattel slavery. So it's really not fair. It's not, it's not a fair comparison. So he's talking about like a better kind of slavery, right? Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Okay, so that just blew up everything I just said, right? Not only to those who are good, not just to just masters, but to unjust masters. For it's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering. Do you hear how all of your excuses are all getting washed away in this? It's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and you endure it? If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. And then he's going to source it all on the cross. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself 
bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray. But now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I don't know how much, can he make himself any more clear? When Peter says submit to all the authorities, he means including the bad ones, including the unjust ones, including the ones that cause you to suffer. And if you're like, well, this doesn't make any sense. I don't want to do that. He's like, yeah, but hang on a second. Do you remember Jesus? Did he not do exact? Is not the greatest thing, literally the single greatest thing in your life is a direct result of someone who submitted to the authorities, who submitted to unjust authorities, who submitted to unjust authorities in the extremity of agony, and he did so for you, and then he left you an example that you should follow, right? So when you're like, I don't want to wear this freaking mask, governor has no right to make me wear this stupid mask, Peter would be like, hang on a second, can I show you something? Can I show you what it looks like to submit to authority? Unjust authority, unjust authority that causes you to suffer, and maybe, let's say the masks are absurd, let's say the science is non, blah, 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 irrelevant, we are a submitted subordinate people, that's what Peter's saying, okay, Herrick. I totally get that, because I'm an anti, you know, I'm against, but I wear, you know, in public, around people most times, when I'm not six feet apart, but it also, like, I think God also gives you a way, if it's, if it's his way, it's his will, and, and he'll give you a way to, if, if you read Proposition 63, and you read everything that the Virginia governor has said, you know, there's clauses in there that say certain things. I'm not going to quote them, but, you know, God says, okay, you know, here's this, but if, if it's not God's will, then he's not going to give you that way. Like, like we're talking about the American Revolution, like, you know, we can't back that up, or maybe even the Crusades, like. Right, so if you mean, like, there's, we, so we are to be an obedient people, but we only have to obey the laws that exist, not the laws that don't exist. If, if, there's, if there's a clause that says, uh, under these circumstances and the rules are different, then, then that's, that's great, no problem. That's right. So that we're not, we can't be guilty of disobeying a law that's not there or a law that's been misinterpreted or, or any of those things. That's good, misinterpreted. Right, and that, that's absolutely the case. So, but we are to be and obedient people, including, and um, the, ma- the mask is obviously very timely, but uh, that won't, that's not going to last forever, Lord willing, right? But what will last forever is your, your chafing, my chafing under authority. But we are to be an obedient people. And if you don't believe me, then you're, you, you don't have an issue with me. You have an issue with Peter. It's all right there. Like, and if you think somehow, if somehow you think I'm like, like, do this for me. Just literally do this. Print up 1 Peter chapter 2, verses, uh, what are we starting at? Verse 13. Just go, go to your computer. You have a digital Bible. And if you don't, email me and I will send you a document, okay? And print out for yourself 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 25. Put it on a sheet of paper. Make, give yourself nice big margins and get out a pen and just start taking it apart. Just do the work to study the passage. What are the verbs? What are the nouns? What is the flow of argument? What does it say? And at the end of the day, if you're like, yeah, I don't care, then just admit that you don't care what the scriptures have said. That you are placing yourself above the word of God. Okay? 
All right, Lily, I'm sorry, got a couple of hands. Start with Lily. Um, I just say I love, I love verse 25 because the way that it ends is for now, for you were straying like sheep, but now return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. If that's not describing an authority that we should be absolutely joyful to be under, I mean, it is. It just is. And I think that if we, out of our, okay, so context, Americans have huge issues with authority as a culture. For sure. So always take that into consideration. I had no idea what it meant to respect an authority until I married a military man. So, like, and not, and he's, he's, you know, does his best to die to himself. Like, Jesus, it's easy to submit to a dead man, right? Doesn't ask for a whole lot. But, um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's so roundabout. But we should be joyful in obedience. Jesus submitted to the evil authorities because of the joy set before him. If I can't find joy in my submission to Tommy and trust that God was right when he put someone over me, to protect me, to die for me, then I have an issue with Jesus, because that's what he did for me. Yeah, and we're going to, when we, in in weeks to come, we're going to talk about how this plays out in a marriage, and it is so interesting to me that, like, uh, well, I'll, I'll say this up, but it, it matters in marriage, right? It, it matters in every, it matters with our employers, it, matter, it matters in all these contexts, and you're absolutely right. Uh, certainly, it's certainly true that Americans don't like authority, but I, I don't know that anybody does. I don't know. And this is where I grew up. This is the only world I know, right? But I, my favorite authority is me, right? My favorite person is me, right? And so this is, this is difficult stuff. But the problem, it, it's difficult, but it's not unclear, right? Okay, Sammy, you had your hand up, I think. You had a, you had a few. Yeah. You pass? Okay. Rita? Yeah, for sure. So go to Acts 16. This is such an interesting thing. So in Acts 16, you see um, the, the fullness of this thing lived out. Let's see. Um, mm, go start in verse 16. Okay. Paul is, Paul is on point for this. Okay, so watch this. In Acts 16, starting at verse 16, there's this girl and she's, this is such a strange, everything about this passage is upside down. There's this slave girl. Um, who is predicting the future, but she's got this demon, this python demon that lives in her, all this weirdness. And um, basically, Paul, uh, in verse 18, he, he, he frees her from this demon. In the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her, and at that moment, the spirit left her. And this really makes the, the slave owners really unhappy. When the owners of the slave girl realized their hope of making money was God, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them in the marketplace to face the authorities, to bring them in, and they, just, they, they get all beat. Verse 23, after they've been severely flogged, they're thrown into prison. The jailer commanded them to guard them carefully. He puts them in the inner cells, fastens them in stocks. He got, this is this guy, he's like in stocks, his back is shredded. It has just been all of this misery, right? Because he was obeying this higher authority to like free this woman. And it brought him into conflict with these local authorities that didn't like the fact that they've lost, or not even authority, the local individual, who didn't like the fact that he lost his money. And they beat him up and they put him in prison. So do you remember what Paul does? Do you know what happens next? They, they sing, right? So Paul's in the stocks and they're singing. About midnight and Paul, they were, they were praying. And verse 25, midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. And then there's an earthquake. And the earthquake opens up the doors and everybody's chains come off. 
And the jailer wakes up and he sees the doors open. He gets out a sword to kill himself because he expects what? Why would he be killed? Because if your prisoners go or you fail in your job, then you're... Right, so the doors are opened. So obviously the prisoners are gone. But, he, but Paul, wrote, Paul shouts out to him in verse 28, Don't harm yourself! And check it out. He doesn't say, don't harm yourself, I'm still here. What does he say? We are all here. So that's weird, okay? So Paul knows, Paul knows, if I leave, this guy's going to get killed. And so he doesn't leave. He stays in the prison. Why does everybody else stay in the prison? Why did all like the riffraff that's there, why do you think they stay? This is so strange. Why did they stay, Stuart? Because they were evangelizing when they were in prison. In their circumstance, they continued to yeah. preach the word of God yes. to those around them, to the authorities that they were under. They didn't stop that. That's right. Okay. But, but the, un, the non-believers also stay. Why did those guys stay? Maybe Paul had gotten to I think they wanted to see the end of the movie. Like, like everything is so strange. You got these nut jobs that are singing, right? And their, their backs are shredded and they're praising God. And that's where, and then there's this earthquake. And then they don't leave. And they're like, I want to see how this thing ends. Like, what is happening, okay? And then when it all ends, now we finally get to the, the final end of the whole thing. Oh, this guy comes to faith, so P.S., that's great. And then, here it is, finally, verse 35. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, Release those men! And the jailer tells Paul, um, you can go. Everything's great. Go in peace. That's so funny. Go in peace. And Paul says to the, now everything changes. Paul has submitted to anything. You can beat him. You can shred him. He's going to sing songs to God. You can, you can miraculously open the door and he's not going to go through it. By the way, there's a little note, note here. For people who make like open door theology decisions, like whenever God opens a door, that means that's what I should do. Apparently not. Apparently not. This is a literal open door. But it would have been wrong for Paul to walk through it. Right? We need to be discerning. How are God's purposes advanced or contradicted? He doesn't walk through the door. But he's, he'll submit to anything until now. And then now he gets super prickly. Watch it change. Paul says to the officers in verse 37, They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. And they threw us into prison. And now they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. Why does he do this? Why has Paul, who was submitted to any suffering, suddenly get all, like, demanding his rights? Suzanne? Um, so, Rome was terribly unjust, but if you were actually a Roman citizen, you had a lot more rights than anybody else in Rome. And so their, their rights as Roman citizens had been violated. So under the law, what had been done to them was wrong. But why, why does he wait till now to assert those rights? Because remember, he's, he submits more than he needs to the whole time. And then now he's like, uh, he's all prickly about it. Why? Because they want to go quietly. Yes, but with something he's, he's, there's a strategic reason here. Dan? They, they are releasing their authority over him, in essence, by saying, you can go, go about it. Yes. But I think there's something that... Okay, Stuart, last, last crack at this. He wanted to evangelize in Rome. He could make it, take the gospel to the head of the, of the empire. I mean, to make, to preach the word wherever he goes. Yes. Because he does that. Yes. And he's going to do that regardless. But I think what's driving him here 
If, 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 if going into prison, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to free this girl because it, it, it honors Jesus. I'm going to go into prison because there's going to be opportunities for ministry there. I'm going to sing in my pain because that's going to create opportunities for people that are, are my co-prisoners to be curious about this and might even lead the jailer to Christ. But now that you want me to leave, you beat me. You did, now I'm going to make a big scene. Look at what he says. The, um, ver, again, verse 37. They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. Now they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. And as they're going to be escorted out, what's necessarily happening now is the state is putting a stamp of approval on Paul. He's gonna, it, it erases all of the scandal all of the whispering, and now it's like we are exonerated. And that means that everybody that gets left behind, this Christian community in this city, is safer than they would have been if they just, if they just snuck out of town in the dark. The officers report this to the magistrates when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. They were alarmed, and they came to appease them. And they escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. And watch this. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. What's Paul's, where's Paul's focus? He doesn't, go to, he doesn't go to Lydia's to get his back bandaged, to go be the recipient. He goes to Lydia's to encourage the brothers. And then they left. Okay? So Paul is going to submit to the authorities even more than he needs to. He's going to suffer what he have, whatever he has to suffer because the gospel kingdom purposes are advanced. But then when it's time to leave, then he's going to be like, he's going to get out his like Roman ID card and be like, no, 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 no. Look at this. Because that is going to create an advantage for his brothers who will also have to suffer. But if Paul can do something on the way out of town that is going to ease their grief, then he's going to do that. Because his eye is constantly on the advancement of the kingdom, the blessing to the believers, the proclamation of the gospel to the lost. It's just whatever. So what do you want me to do? You want me to suffer? Then I'll suffer. You want me to like, you want, you want to assert my rights? Then I'll assert my rights. He's always going to do, he's always going to do the right thing within the authority structure. And so it is for us that we are to be an obedient people. And it very well might be that you need to suffer. Right? We are allowed, you are not allowed to sin, but you are allowed to suffer. And what we have a tendency to think is that I don't, I will obey authority until it causes me to suffer. And Peter says, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. You will obey authority until it causes you to sin. Right? Again, this, little, this mask season, this is going to pass. But this reality that you, you only want to obey until it hurts, that's, that's going to stick around. And we need, to, we need to deal with that and recognize, okay, we will bear up under unjust suffering. But I'm not going to bear up if I'm, I'm being compelled to sin. There's going to be lots of ways. I wish we had more time. There's going to be a lot of ways that this becomes highly relevant to us. Christians obey even when we suffer, but we do not obey when we sin, when we're compelled to sin. That's the difference, okay? That's what Peter said. And if you do that, you're weird. (laughs) It's just strange. It's not normal. But that's what we're called to. Okay? That's all. Have a great afternoon. Thanks, Tim.